You're listening to Commute, the podcast. Congratulations, you'll be smarter when you get there. What up? Welcome into Commute, the podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Jay. And we are about to take you on a deep dive on three topics that we find interesting, and we're betting that you might just find them interesting, too. We can promise you this, you'll be smarter when you get there. On this edition of Commute, it's amazing how much money some of us will spend for the most random things. And recently, it was a cartoon that has stood the test of time that went for a whole lot of cash. Every year, we buy upwards of $800 million worth or more of pumpkins in the lead-up to the Halloween season. But have you ever wondered what happens to all the ones we don't buy? Porta potties All of us use them. None of us want to. This week, do they ever get cleaned? And if so, how often? All of that on this edition of Commute. Let's go. Jay, what is something in your life that hasn't aged very well? Like, this could be something you said on social media, you've stumbled upon all these years later, or it could be like, I don't know, my flat top haircut I've talked about on the show before that looked horrible. It just happened to coincide with school picture day, so it's up forever in my parents' house. Just, just awful. But how about you? You know, speaking of hair, I had a similar experience growing up. I just, I feel like no one ever pulled me aside and said, hey, what you're doing isn't working, you know? And it's like, they could have said that a lot of times. So for instance, in middle school, I had this like gel that I would like put in my hair and I like push the bangs out. So the bangs would be like sticking straight out, like spiky almost. It looked awful. But when I look at it now, I'm like, someone needed to tell me, you know, like, if I saw a kid like that, I'd be like, hey, listen, um, let's have a chat <laughs> you know, about this, about this hair situation. See, I think the girls were trying to tell you by, <laughs> by not telling you anything. That's fair. But I mean, <laughs> it, didn't get, it didn't improve. Like, it's like in high school, it wasn't great either. You know, it was like kind of long, but it was like it wasn't long enough to commit to being long, but it wasn't short enough to commit to being short. It was like somewhere in the middle. Well, I remember when we were in college, you randomly decided you were going to buzz your head. And so you buzzed your head, and uh, if I recall correctly, you then went in, like, the bathroom to look at it. You look in the mirror, and I just heard you, like, mutter under your breath, oh, no. Yeah, it was immediate regret. Because I looked in the mirror, and I realized, (laughs) one, I hated it. Two, it was going to take a really long time to fix. (laughs) Well, since I already talked about my haircut, and we all know about the time that I betrayed you on the stock purchase that tanked. Sorry again about that. Uh, Let's go with another (laughs) thing that hung in my parents' house, like the flat top picture, until about two to three years ago when I violently ripped it off the wall. So in like seventh grade, and and I don't know if you or anyone else felt like this, but in seventh grade, you typically have your first like official art class in school. So I know that you have artists as parents, so you had informal training, but most of us have no training. We don't have any kind of artist to guide us except for like Bob Ross. (laughs) So naturally, a bunch of kids, me included, but we all think we're going to be artists now (laughs) since we've had like, I don't know, one art class. Well, for our end-of-the-year assignment, we had to draw our version of a magazine cover as the final. Like, use the magazine as your source and draw what you see. So I chose an ESPN the magazine that featured Michael Vick, the former NFL player, who at the time played quarterback at Virginia Tech. So, Jay, I received a perfect 100% on this drawing. 
Okay, wow. so I obviously thought it was a masterpiece. Had to be framed, needed to be put up on the wall forever. So it was. I framed it. I put it up on my, my childhood bedroom wall. Jay, I'm here to tell you, not only did it not look like Michael Vick, the person in the drawing, whoever it was, looked to be about 800 pounds. <laughs> uh, so did not age well. And uh, So what was, your, what was your teacher doing giving out this 100s, all that false confidence? I mean, at some point, confidence hurts. We're burying the lead here. Like, how did that guy have a job? <laughs> but, Jay, I think most of us have an endless list of things that didn't age well. It's the rare things that do, though, that we celebrate. Recently, a piece of art that was actually good, unlike mine, was remembered so well that it set a record when sold at auction. Jay, in 1993, the New Yorker magazine published a simple cartoon that featured two dogs sitting at a computer. With one dog in the computer chair and the other on the ground watching, the first dog says, on the internet, nobody knows you're a dog. If that sounds familiar, it probably is. In a world of spam emails and internet bots, this timeless image still resonates today. It's been featured on t-shirts, mugs, posters, and it holds the record as the most reprinted cartoon in the history of The New Yorker. And Jay, like I just mentioned a moment ago, it recently set another record when the original drawing sold at auction for $175,000, a.k.a. <laughs> the highest amount ever paid for a single-panel cartoon. Have you seen this cartoon? Uh, no, but I Googled it just as you were talking. So I, I don't think I had seen it up to this point, but it has that style. Yeah. That I think everybody pretty much recognizes it, the style. Exactly. You've probably encountered it, even if you don't remember it. And, yeah. and Jay, according to Heritage Auctions, the anonymous bidder who won the piece has been trying to purchase it ever since it was created, a span of over 30 years. Most people had never even used the internet in 1993. I certainly didn't have a connection. Bob Mankoff, former New Yorker cartoon editor, told Gizmodo, but I think part of its success comes from the fact that we're all living in the world that that cartoon foreshadowed. There's a way that a cartoonist's antenna can sort of tap into the zeitgeist, and a good cartoon compresses the message as simply as possible. Peter Steiner, the artist who drew the now legendary piece, has always been a little confused as to why it was so popular. When he sent it to the New Yorker, it was part of a larger group of cartoons that he was pitching, and he still says he didn't expect any of them to be picked up. Jade's popularity has even found its way into Microsoft guru Bill Gates' life. Gates once reportedly paid $200, how about that, a steal, to use the comic in his book, The Road Ahead. In the 90s, cheap and strange time. <laughs> Despite the strange universal appeal, though, Jade, the comic remains deeply personal for its creator, Steiner. After the auction, he told the Heritage Company, I had a revelation about this cartoon this morning. I realized the cartoon is autobiographical and that it's about being an imposter or feeling like an imposter. It wasn't about the internet at all. It was about my sense that I'm getting away with something. I've had several checkered careers and in every one I felt like a bit of a fraud. I think many people have that syndrome. The sense that you've got everybody fooled just like a dog on the internet. I think I'm going to need one of those mugs now that has the cartoon on it. I think that just feels like a good way to start your day. Yeah, why not? (laughs) 
So Dave, we just passed Halloween, and I know at least in our house we have the pumpkins still out on the front porch, and I'm going to have to sort of decide what to do with them. In the next coming days, we have not carved them, but I have mentioned to my kids that we will, and so as people with kids know, they typically hear things like that and they never forget them. So I think at some point in the next couple of days, I'm going to have to carve a pumpkin. Uh, how, uh, how's your history look with carving pumpkins? Is it something that you did growing up? Is it something that you do now? What's going on in the Trob house? Man, carving pumpkins after the day. I'm not saying that's like a findable offense, <laughs> they don't but care. that's pretty bad. They don't care. That's pretty bad. <laughs> Of course, you are the same guy that, and you deny this, but you you one year uh, hand to hand to the Bible. Truly, that's all. I mean, I'm serious about this. Jay Sisson and his family they once had their Christmas tree up until April. Well, you should April. You should burst into flames right now because it was Criminal. not up until April. It was up till like February 27th or something. Just ridiculous. <laughs> but um, I'm you know it, off of the the last story of me being an incredible artist. Obviously, I'm a horrible pumpkin carver, and uh, we never really did it much growing up. Now, last year, my son, who's now four, was three, and so he he was kind of getting into it. He wanted to carve a pumpkin. Really excited. Thought it was going to be ton of fun. I was excited. I'm like, we're entering a new chapter here, new fatherhood experience for me. We get the pumpkin, great looking one, a great looking gourd. Um, <laughs> we get back to the house. We, we kind of sketch out what we're going to do. I'm excited. I start to carve it. He didn't realize there was something in it. Right. So yeah. when he saw the pulpy mess on the inside, he burst into tears and was scared of the pumpkin yeah. and hated everything about it. So it did not go well, ended up being a very negative memory. Yeah. Not at all what I thought That's it would be. the thing people don't tell you about having kids. You know, it's not all Instagram. <laughs> Sometimes they yeah. scream when you try to carve the pumpkin. It just happens. That's it. That's it. <laughs> well, Dave, today we're diving deep into a topic that might surprise you, the fate of unsold pumpkins after Halloween. And it's actually a story that goes beyond the spooky season itself. So Halloween obviously brings pumpkins into the spotlight. I mean, the U.S. annual per capita use of pumpkin, which is a real statistic, by the way, is around 6.45 pounds of pumpkin per person in the United States. And the industry is nearly a $1 billion one. But after November 1st, the demand for them totally plummets and millions of them are left unsold. And there can be some serious issues with neglected pumpkins once the costumes are put away. Dave, the issue with just tossing them is that when pumpkins are left to rot in landfills, they produce methane gas and a lot of it, and that's a potent contributor to climate change. Plus, the resources invested in growing those pumpkins, water, energy, and land, are just essentially wasted. Not to mention, a rotting pumpkin carries a truly awful smell and takes a long time to deteriorate, so leaving them out somewhere is also complicated. So what can we do about it? Well, one potential solution gaining traction is repurposing unsold pumpkins for animal feed. Pumpkins are packed with nutrients and make for a healthy addition to livestock diets. By diverting unsold pumpkins to this purpose, we can create this sustainable cycle that reduces food waste and benefits farmers at the same time. And Dave, there actually are several nonprofit organizations that actively work to collect unsold pumpkins from local farms and pumpkin patches and grocery stores. Then they're distributed to nearby livestock owners, turning what would be waste into valuable nutrition for animals. Now, if you don't have access to these types of initiatives, though, the best thing you can do to dispose of a pumpkin, if it's an option, is composting it. Not only does it reduce waste, but it also contributes to nutrient-rich soil for your garden. 
There are also some non-traditional outlets here, too. For example, in 2022, the Country Barn in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, allowed visitors to come destroy pumpkins with catapults, cannons, and sledgehammers as part of a pumpkin demolition day. Zoos across the country also take pumpkin donations not only to feed the animals, but also to allow large animals like elephants and hippos to crush them in front of crowds for entertainment. Now, while you may see some suggestions around this time of year to smash pumpkins in your backyard for deer and other wildlife, experts actually caution against this, pointing out that attracting wild animals to an area can have some unintended consequences, such as pulling large numbers of animals into a public space, or it could ultimately attract predators like mountain lions or coyotes to an area. To sum it up, the environmental impact of unsold pumpkins, it's a real concern, but there are also a lot of practical solutions here that are being developed to tackle the problem. I'm trying to see if I can find how the name The Smashing Pumpkins came to be. (laughs) That's a good... I have no idea. So, according to this, this was from Billy Corgan. He told uh, Randy Reisfeld in his book, This is the Sound, Alternative Rock. Alternative Rock! Uh, smashing is not a verb. It's an adjective, said Corgan. It's not like we have to smash pumpkins or anything, and we're not amused by pumpkin jokes anymore. I like the idea of being aggressive, of smashing being aggressive as well as wonderful. Okay, well, that's boring. Also, if you're going to have your name Smashing Pumpkins and you don't like smashing, you don't like pumpkin jokes anymore, get over yourself. What do you think people are going to do? They're going to be making jokes about pumpkins. I feel like that's an answer of a guy who just came up with the name and has no clue how he came up with it and has just forgotten, and now he's just making stuff up. Exactly. Like, if, if you and I had a band and we were named, like, the Celery Dudes, okay, after, <laughs> after like, a decade of playing, we don't, we don't have the right to be like, hey, everybody that throws celery at us when we start a show, get out of here. We're over it. Yeah, also, like, this name that sounds super unserious, we demand that you take it serious. Like, <laughs> it's no, because we, we don't have to, though. It's like water to the heart. Because you chose to call your band the Smashing yeah, get Pumpkins, over so that's on you. Get over yourself. <laughs> Jay, I am a runner, as you know, and actually, come to think of it, I have a half marathon coming up very, very soon. Uh, is it next so weekend? What's the, what's the training uh, training status? Training here? hasn't been good. Um, <laughs> two kids. Like, how many miles have you run in one one? Uh, uh, go? Well, that's it's a common misconception that you have to run as many miles as the race so, is. Like five. <laughs> the, the most miles I've run in any one setting uh, over the past year probably is six. Uh, so I'll be fine. Yeah, that's, I'll be so fine. so that's less than half yeah, of what this it'll, race is. It'll be fine. <laughs> Plus, I got COVID and run for like two weeks, but whatever. I'll be fine. But Jay, my question today is not about running or you scolding me for my lack of training. It's what happens or doesn't happen during those races. Jay, have you ever, when you've run, because I know that you have done some runs before, some sanctioned runs, including a half marathon. Have you ever had to make the dreaded porta potty stop during a race? Uh, no, not in any way that uh, affected the race or anything. I mean, I haven't had a bad experience with a porta potty. Now, I have had a bad public bathroom experience before, though. <laughs> Do tell. Do tell. <laughs> <laughs> so something happened to me that I am saying on this podcast because I don't want it to happen to you. So this is something that you should avoid. Oh, this is good. All right. Okay. When you go to the public restroom, and there are the stalls. 
which stall do you usually choose to use if you have to go number two? You go bigger one. You go the exactly. One. You go with the handicap stall, right? Because it's bigger, it's more spread out. That was my mistake. All right, I went into the handicap stall, and the thing happened that you would just never expect to happen. Like, there's probably a one in a million chance of this <laughs> happening to you. But someone with a legitimate handicap came in <laughs> while I was using the stall, and I was not close to being done. Okay, so someone pulls up. They're in a wheelchair. They try to open the door. Okay. <laughs> they jiggle the handle. I mean, I'm horrified at this moment. Like, I feel like the biggest jerk in the entire world because I know I'm wrong. Like, there's no justifying it. There were open stalls. I could have used them. I didn't. I was just using thinking, the big one. What can I fake? Totally selfish. All right. So he tries to open the stall. I'm like, I, I say something. I don't even remember. I probably said, like, it's, it's occupied or something. I don't know. Probably. <laughs> I don't know. And uh, I hear him just let out this sigh. I mean, like, you know, he's done this before. Like, he's so annoyed. And and I'm annoyed at myself for him. Like, I feel so angry at me for, for him and for the world. Like, I know that I've done wrong. So I just, I try to finish as fast as I can, which was not fast. But I finish as fast as I can. I get out. I don't look him in the eyes. And I just try to get out of there as fast as I can. But from now, I mean, I'd still like, I don't use the handicap stall. Like when I go in, I think about it and I'm like, what if the, what if it happens again? (laughs) I can't feel that again. Man, you're using handicap stalls. You're carving pumpkins after Halloween. I don't even know who you are. You're a sick man. Sick man. Got some things to work out. Well, Jay, thankfully I have only ever had to go number two once at a race in a porta potty, and it was after the race. It wasn't during. Like I literally crossed the finish line and did an extra quarter mile because I had to run to the nearest porta potty. So I just kept going. (laughs) But using porta potties is just part of life sometimes, right? A concert, a sporting event, if you're a construction worker. Sometimes nature calls and we must quickly answer. But Jay, I don't know about you, but I almost always think every time I see a porta potty, let alone use one, has this thing ever been cleaned? <laughs> Jay, the first known porta potty didn't arrive until the 1950s. And unlike the toilets in our homes, porta potties aren't typically connected to a sewer system. Instead, all of the waste goes into a large storage bin and sits there until the facility decides to pay for a cleaning. You ever had the fear you drop your phone down into one, by the way? I don't know why that always comes to me. Like, it just, it happens. Like, I could accidentally drop my phone. If you ever do, don't get it. <laughs> no, it's, it's done. done. Yeah. You leave it. You it doesn't matter what L. goes in there. Yeah, you're not diving in there. <laughs> Jay, to clean a porta potty, though, sanitation companies use a vacuum hose connected to a large truck. The hose sucks the waste out of the storage bin, loads it into a small tanker truck, and the truck takes it to a sanitation center. When the truck is cleaned out and it gets blasted with cleaning chemicals, that's when a porta potty is ready for reuse. Jay, that's not the nastiest part, though. It's the sanitizing of the actual inside of the porta potty. That part, including the really gross urinal, has to be hand scrubbed to be properly cleaned. And Jay, while some porta potties are serviced once or twice per week, Some that are used infrequently, and I mean, I think we've all used one of these, can go up to a month. (laughs) These are the ones that feel like and smell like we've arrived in literal hell. In fact, the typical porta potty can hold on average enough waste for seven people to use it over the course of a 40-hour work week. Porta potties are also consistently at the top of the list when it comes to structures that are vandalized. 
which includes, man, just imagine this happening to you, porta potty tipping. <laughs> and it's estimated that around 5% of the active porta potties in the U.S. have been vandalized at some point in their life cycle. If you need a career change, though, porta potty cleaners do get paid decently. They make on average at least $50,000 per year, depending on location. But Jay, even at that rate, I mean, me personally, I'd need to be paid about five, six, seven times more than that to even consider it. Well, this has been thoroughly disturbing uh, to hear. And, you know, you don't really understand how dirty it is until you take your kid into one. Like, if you're in one, you can sort of work around the dirtiness as much oh, as you so can. True. But, like, my kids played soccer, and there were two porta potties. And, of course, I asked them before we leave for the game, got to use the bathroom? No. You sure? No, I don't. We get there immediately. Got to use the bathroom. So go to the porta potty, and you're just, you feel like you need to just put them in a bubble. Like they, they just want to be like, what's this? What's this? What's this? It's so small. You're like in there trying to tell them, like, don't touch this. Don't touch this. It's just a nightmare. Is there anything worse than with a kid when something really gross, like a porta potty, is right in front of you, and you tell them because you care about them, hey, don't touch this, and they immediately touch that? <laughs> There's nothing more infuriating. <laughs> And that's it. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review Commute on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast network. We're on social. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, or X, and Instagram. And you can always say what up at our website, commutethepodcast.com. Music for Commute is provided by my main man, Jason Sammons. For Jason, and I'm Dave Trapp. We'll see you next week. Also, according to uh, realsimple.com, um, you should carve a pumpkin three days before Halloween, uh, so it'll be perfect for Halloween. If you don't carve it three days before Halloween, so if you carve it too early, it'll be rotten. If you don't carve it in the three-day window, you shouldn't carve it at all because nobody cares anymore. I added that part. Well, but you know, I also, you know, what I also don't care about is other people's opinions on pumpkins. I mean, who died and made you the pumpkin wow, king? Wow, coming out aggressive, <laughs> coming out a little aggressive. <laughs> what you do is you tell your kids they wake up, the pumpkins are gone, and you say somebody stole the them last night. Man the pumpkin stole man them, yeah. took them. He took them back to his lair. <laughs> but really, you've just you've ignored everything I just said, and you've launched them over the hill into the woods. <laughs> like that's what you do. I bet you just shot put them over the hill. A little bit towards your neighbor's yard, too. Like, you don't want them in your yard. <laughs> and then I just say, real, real soft in my breath, oops. <laughs>